0: Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you awake at a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Ten past nine on the free breakfast this morning. You're with Kate, and I'm being joined on the line f- from. Gosh, I'll find out where she's from, both by Joelle Thompson, author, journalist and wine writer. Uh, Joelle Morena, good morning. Morena, how are you? And um, I know you're somewhere busy and noisy today.
1: Well, I'm sorry, I'm commuting into Wellington. I live in Marsdenborough.
0: You do live in Martin and you trained as a a journalist, I've got a little intro for our listeners, you trained as a journalist, you've written about, I loved your bio, um, design gardens, nudist camps, sperm donors and other world and wonderful topics for lots of different newsstand magazines and and newspapers but you're now firmly focused on wine and you've authored books and you're on RNZ and you've been to teaching and wine awards judge and and we're excited because you're coming to Hamilton for the Wine panel for Hamilton Book Month, so um, no, my heart am I, and um, that's a great list. Can can you tell us what got you started in wine writing? Well, I still
1: consider myself a writer, I suppose, more than a wine writer. Um, but yes, you're right. Wine is the pretty much the sole focus of my writing these days. Uh, although I have a new book about wine and travel around New Zealand, since we can't go further afield. Uh, what what sort of made me dive down the rabbit hole uh, was that I just loved wine and it was suggested to me by someone very close to me quite a long time ago that I should combine my passions for writing and wine. And so uh, I thought, well, I got a job at an arts weekly in Wellington in 1994 and said, you know, how would you like a wine column? I've noticed you haven't got one. Um, they were quite keen but after about three columns i quickly realized i actually did not know very much Uh, i'd kind of exhausted the extent of my knowledge so i started going to tastings at regional wines in wellington and uh, where i now actually work myself as a wine advisor uh, for about half of my week Uh, and it just grew from there really
0: That's great. It's a great story in terms of if this, you know, because you were still reasonably new into your career at that stage, maybe four or five years in, and it's a great example of pitching an idea and then paddling furiously underwater to be able to sustain that idea.
1: Yeah, I'd say it was probably pretty obvious I was paddling over water too. (laughs) It's a good analogy, the underwater one, but I I think it became... I think the first few columns were quite fun and quite informed because I'd travelled a bit overseas. But, yeah, I was a young journo and um baby wine writer. You know, ignorance is bliss. I For a while, I felt like a bit of an imposter. And then I moved to Auckland and worked in magazines and wrote about the imposter syndrome and thought, God, you've got to fake it till you make it, not just when you're starting out in something, but through life. I mean, none of us really experts, it's a thing we call life and that's my approach to wine writing.
0: That's wonderful and of course um, over the time you know you will have just that imposter syndrome hopefully has, has dissipated as you've developed more and more expertise.
1: Well like I say I think we're where none of us have made it in life I've, I've always um, really avoided words like expert or you know connoisseur or You know anything else, but I guess expert, I'm a bit more comfortable with. But there's always something to learn. I honestly do feel that I learn more about wine every time I put my nose in a glass of it, I feel like I'm learning something. It has the ability to transport me on a journey, take me to another place, and I think it's that aspect of intrigue that wine has made in so many places and really reflects the climate and the place and the culture of the place it's made. So I find it's quite an intriguing subject in that regard.
0: Yeah, I love that idea of just... um, Exploring all of that <laughs> with your senses as you and as as you're drinking, so I mean, back in the eighties, you know, my parents would buy a box of Blenheimer, or if we were feeling a bit bougie, they might get some Spumanti or some Tyrell's Long Flat Red or something. So, you know, but by the time you hit the wine scene in the nineties, I guess that was probably that was starting to change. And how how would you describe some of those changes that you've seen over that last? long period of time now that you've been writing about wine and enjoying wine? Oh uh, yeah,
1: well in, in a simple word, massive. Um, <laughs> yes, I do remember Tyrell's Long Flatbread and I remember Blenheimer. <laughs> I think it was always so sort of sharp and insipid and bland in the mid palate and sharp on the finish that I urged towards Bebel River Claret. Um, oh, yes. But yeah, back when I, yeah. when I started writing about wine, Sauvignon Blanc was just starting to make an appearance. And I can't say it really did it for me in those early days. I preferred the sort of softer Chardonnays that were coming over from Australia. And then I moved over to the UK and got to drink cheap and extremely cheerful um, new wave wines from the south of France, Portugal, um, a few Italian things. And then I traveled through France and, you know, you could sort of drive around there where I did with my backpack and my boyfriend and pick up a... You know, fill up your water bottle with wine from the side of the road for a couple of a couple of francs at wow. the time, from which were you know now euros, so cheap and and a lot of the time, beautiful wine. Then I mean, came back to New Zealand, you know, full of the joys of all that, and uh, realised those kind of wines were quite expensive here and quite rare. Uh, but luckily at the time, a few more imports were coming in. Um, the biggest change I was in a high in a high level way, over that time would be that 70% of New Zealand wine in the mid 90s was still um, uh, packaged as bag in the box, so what we called bladder or cask wine. Oh gosh, You know, in a see? very small, yeah, a very small percentage now. Um, also back then, uh, Chardonnay was the most planted grape for a brief time. For a few years, um, Price, Sauvignon absolutely taking over and then going astronomical. Uh, another thing is that Pinot Noir was not really much more than a, a glint in the eye of a few winemakers in Martinborough, ironically, where I now live. Yeah. Uh, and Merlot was seen as the Big Red Hope in Marlborough, which, to my taste back in those days, certainly made a lot more sense than Cabernet, which always tasted grassy when it came from the South Island. That said, there's some really good Cabernet blends from the South Islands now, but they're few and far between uh, as they should be unless climate change takes a huge hold, uh, in which case we've got bigger things to worry about. But yeah, the change away from cask wine, uh, Sauvignon Blanc growing so hugely, it was forecast that it was, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and without it, we wouldn't have a viable wine industry here.
0: Yeah I think it's just become such a a popular wine I think most people have it you know it's one of those ones that you can reliably put out whereas I think you know as you say the Chardonnays were oh I don't know lovely buttery Chardonnay I still quite like one of those but uh, I don't know I don't know a lot about wine but I I do know that pretty much the Sauvignon Blanc became just completely ubiquitous isn't it in, in, in our homes Yeah,
1: well, it's really most of it's exported, and that's you know, wines the sixth biggest export for New Zealand now. And without Sauvignon, we wouldn't have that position. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's very successful and yes, very reliable. Um, And not all of it's tutti frutti. There's a lot of really good complex, dry, interesting wines out there now too, made from Sauvignon.
0: So what's um you know we'll get a, we'll get a quick tip from you but what's kind of hot now are there any changes that that you've noticed coming what do you think the next is there going to be a next big big thing with New Zealand wine putting aside climate change well there's a lot
1: of yeah there's more diversification with Sauvignon Blanc styles at a higher level I think going forward we you know we're in a challenging world at the moment um, global shipping net passion, um shipping lines are You know, really struggling. They'll take something one way and not necessarily be able to go the other. So right now, I think most people are sort of holding on for dear life and just hoping, praying, you know, that their wines can get to the markets that they've worked so hard to create for them. And here at home, um, experimenting with more complex Sauvignons, a little bit of older oak or a little bit of newer oak in a small proportion. Um, to add some softness to, like, higher priced Sauvignon. Not to treat them too much like Chardonnay, but just to, to round them out a bit. Uh, and I've got to say a couple of my favorite Kiwi wines are made from Sauvignon in this way, using a bit of oak, a bit of thyme on yeast lees. Uh, there's also been this kind of unfathomably, unfathomably strange trend to making so-called natural wine. Uh, which is something, it's a category that we can't really ignore, but I'm, as a words lover, I find it a tricky area because, to me, wine is more natural than mm-hmm. other types of alcohol. It's made from, you know, what Mother Nature gives you, and in a cold year, she doesn't give you much, but in a warmer year, you'll get riper grapes that are mm-hmm. in better quality, and you'll get what is called a good vintage Um Sorry, I'm segueing away from your question. No, no, I think no, people are okay. really trying to... I think people are trying to really stick to knitting at the moment because of, you know, the changes that COVID has brought about, the uncertainty and instability. Yeah. Uh, so we will definitely be staying with Sauvignon as our most planted grape. Um, a change that has occurred is that, you know, I was talking before about Cabernet. It's shrunk a lot. It's shrunk by two-thirds, and Syrah has... More than doubled. And I think that's a slow trend that we'll see continuing Mm. more in the North Island and Hawke's Bay, particularly, and Waiheke. Uh, But really, Syrah and Cabernet are a niche category in New Zealand. Uh, Pinot is very small compared to Sauvignon. But I would, I guess, if we're predicting bigger trends, I would certainly predict that Pinot Noir will continue to grow in stature, people globally are starting to really take Kiwi Pinot seriously and for good reason, you know, Mm -hmm. it's extremely good quality Um, I would say that the regions that may and should get better known for it, uh, North Canterbury and the Rappa where Martinborough is, those um, are some of the most incredible wines from this country if you see them, you know, snap them up,
0: that's such good wines yeah, is that sort of the White um region of North Canterbury
1: there? Yes, the yeah. White Prairie yeah, Valley is the heart of North Canterbury. I try to call it North Canterbury because there's so many Y words
0: in New Zealand, which yes, is so confusing, yeah. you know. But that's great. And, I mean, you know, there's that very dry climate there in, in Canterbury. I think it's yes. more suited to wine than perhaps some of the other activity. <coughs> we won't go there. <laughs> well, that's
1: so, actually mm. it in a nutshell. That's the same with the or where Martindra is. The dryness means you've got a longer growing season, less disease pressure. Um, Pinot Noir is a thin-skinned grape, so it needs a dry climate. And those two areas, you know, thrive with making high quality Pinot for that yeah. reason.
0: Oh look, that's that's awesome. And you have um, I was gonna talk about your magazine but I'm we're gonna run out of time but you but for people that want to find out a little bit more and get a sense of some of the, the, the great content that you're putting out, you've also got your own um, magazine Vino and yes. I had a quick Online. Yeah, an online magazine. And it's lovely. You've got such a lovely, accessible style to your writing. So if people are like, thank you. And they're not, yeah, if they're not sort of um, people with a, I don't have a refined palette or an expertise, but I do enjoy a drop and I would challenge myself to learn more. But I love this approach that you've got where you're really trying to make your writing style accessible to to a huge range of audiences. So. um, Oh, yeah, always. Yeah, it's great. And so the the event that you're coming for, it's I think it's a first for Hamilton Book Month. You're going to be chairing a panel with three other wine writers. So Bob Campbell, yes. Michael Cooper and Yvonne law who will all be well-known names to um, to people who have been reading about wine, and I've just had a bit of news about it from the organisers of Hamilton Book Month, that they're actually scaling it up, because the waiting list was so long for the event, that they're um, actually going to move it to uh, the atrium at WinTech. so there'll be some updates about that ah, coming out onto the Hamilton great. Book Month, but uh, I think there was a big waiting list, so tell us a little bit about what you were expecting from, from that evening.
1: Yeah, well, I'm thrilled to hear that, because I thought 40 people may not cut the mustard. I think it will be interesting. I mean, I've um, oh got, I hope I don't lose you now um, on this train that I'm on. Um, I am going to be asking the doctors' the same questions and sharing, asking to share great joys and biggest challenges of wine writing so some of the questions you've asked me you know what are the biggest changes that I've seen and are different ages and stages in their careers.
0: No that sounds good look I think we've just lost Joelle Thompson so I'll tell you a little bit about that event if you're interested in following up about the Hamilton Book Month wine event you can go to uh, hamiltonbookmonth.co.nz or you can go to their facebook page there's a whole lot of other events coming up all of of them are free uh, apart from the wine writers event which does have a cost because you'll be tasting wine and there's also uh, several workshops that are still coming up that that have a cost of 25 dollars. but that's for about three hours of expert workshops that's pretty good all the other events are free so do check them out on facebook it's been lovely being with you this morning